0: If Branson survives this, do you think that he's going to be a pirate for subsequent Halloweens?
1: (gasps) He totally should do that. I didn't even think about that. He'll have to get a parrot. I think he'll just always want to have the parrot.
0: Did you notice that at the beginning of the episode, Brooke is plunging a knife or scissors into a pillow? And by the episode's end, a knife will be used and somebody will bleed all over a pillow? Interesting.
1: (gasps) I did not think about that. Wow.
0: Cause and effect.
1: Full circle.
0: Full rhombus.
1: That doesn't make any sense.
0: We are rolling right along with Season 2. And as we pursue Season 2, I think about a couple things. The first is that sometimes I vacillate between missing Season 1, the simplicity of it, the original characters, the triangles that formed, and where things ended up. I thought the, the Piper component was very interesting, and I missed that Piper development. I miss the Piper and Emma discourse at the coffee shops. I miss Will and Jake and all of the mysteries surrounding their affairs. Season two, sometimes it feels more confident, and sometimes it feels like everything comes together in a very intelligent and articulate montage. But I can only speak for myself. You, Daisy Bell, do you find yourself missing season one, or do you just appreciate season two in such a way that you're kind of over season one?
1: Yeah, I don't really miss season one. I really like where we are with the characters. I really like the new characters that they have introduced this season. And I'm really into the storyline this season. It's not quite as scary, but it's more intricate. I feel like the story, the long story, or the storyboard, I don't know what to say. Whatever that is, the plot, I guess. The plot is more juicy, I think, in season two.
0: There's some very riveting dialogue here in season two. You have Stavo showing his artwork to Audrey, and it's a very tense scene, and it's awkward, but it's also important. So Stavo is explaining his life work to the very suspicious, predominantly paranoid Audrey Jensen. I'm trying to tell the story of Murderville, and the truth is, it gets a little bloody in parts. Your stuff is good. Twisted, but good. Caravaggio, Goya. Their paintings were bloody and disturbing, but beautiful. Even murder can be art. It's too soon, man. Look, whoever killed Jake had a vision. Black Dahlia, Jack the Ripper, they staged their kills to tell a story. They controlled the narrative. Interesting. I know what you're doing. What I'm doing? Being nice, complimenting me, but deep down, you still suspect me. If that's what you think I'm doing, why are you showing me your stuff? Because maybe I'm doing the same. Stavo is very slick and he gets some of the upper echelon dialogue. I'll have you know that you, Daisy Bell, have actually read The Black Dahlia.
1: Yes, I do know that.
0: And we are going to be presenting a slick flick pick and a slick page flip when we do our comparison contrast with Gotham by Gaslight and the Gotham by Gaslight graphic novel, the original source material. For Gotham by Gaslight, the animated Batman film. I'm very excited about that. If Black Dahlia, the film, had been much better and much more memorable, I would consider doing that as a slick flick pick. But it does not qualify, as it is not even in my top eight neo noir LA crime films.
1: No, it left you wanting more.
0: It had the potential, it was just too goofy. Another dialogue you've got Noah screaming. He's so very concerned as he's tied up. And he says, I see some tools. It's just out of my reach. He wants it to just be out of my reach. It's part of his torture fetish. Very funny. Funny because of the dramatic irony. We know things that Noah did not quite know, but Audrey knows. So that's where the dramatic irony comes into play. And lastly, we were supposed to meet up with Eddie from the Crescent Palms. No, no, no. There is no Eddie. Eddie is dead, says Audrey Jensen. Eddie can't be dead. He texted me this morning. He is dead. He is super dead. The killer must have lured you here, posing as him. We are sitting ducks. I'm so confused. Haven't we been sitting ducks this whole time? Not exactly. Then Audrey stands up. She was never tied up. She goes to untie Noah, who's bewildered, mystified, perplexed, confused. He says, you have some explaining to do. Now that is funny. It reminds me of a moment in Smallville when Lex Luthor finally realizes the awe-inspiring Clark Kent Powers. That was a good episode. This is a great episode, and I am still enjoying, vastly so, Scream, the TV series.
1: I got nightmares in my head, I fear...
0: Thoughts build up until I can't hear That my mind fills up into a creature And it haunts me somewhere much deeper Greetings, dreamy screamers! Welcome to Faux Ghost Face, an episodic autopsy companion series to Scream, the TV series. This is Season 2, 2016. This will serve as your sixth episode introducing a new chapter of Carnage in a new salacious, sordid, and sinister season of Scream the TV series. We begin anew as we reveal methodically who will morph into a new fresh pile of bloody goo. This is where we scalpel deep and surgically critique this shamelessly delectable guilty party pleasure. Today, we will cut a devilishly delectable slice Of the Scream, the TV series, Carnage, Candy, Confection, with our sixth, season two, faux Ghostface review of episode 16.
1: Jeepers Creepers.
0: Also a great movie. I love it. You like it. But we both agree that that opening sequence, brother and sister doing a cross-country return from college trip, they're making very organic and believable dialogue, and then a fucking muscle truck starts rolling up behind them, flashing its horn to get them off the road. It comes out of nowhere, it's terrifying, and it's a very original film. Jeepers Creepers, Where'd You Get Those Peepers? I love that movie.
1: Jeepers Creepers, Where'd You Get Those Peepers?
0: But didn't you like the creature?
1: Yeah, he was so creepy, but I like Jeepers Creepers 2 better.
0: You've seen Jeepers Creepers 2?
1: That's the one with the school bus. Yeah, I didn't know you liked
0: that at all. I've tried to get you to watch it in the last 18 months and you didn't express any interest. My takeaway, unless I'm misremembering, is that you liked the first one, but you struggled getting past what you call the inherent stupidity of the cast, in this case, Justin Long. I had no idea that you had even seen Jeepers Creepers 2 and that you wanted to have anything to do with it as a viewer. That's where the high school football team is headed to a game, and they're driving on a country road, and he appears. And they're stuck on this bus for most of the film. You like that movie?
1: Yeah, I, I had like no idea. One. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I like it a little better. I guess I don't know. I just get so annoyed that they turned around in the first one.
0: Okay, to be fair though, considering it's a film, it's a horror film, and that they did it for a good reason, I do find it surprising that you are very stuck on that, like a piece of Carnegie yarn on a, on a rusty nail. Maybe it's worth another viewing this this Halloween season coming up. I'll allow it. I just like Jeepers Creepers because it's hard to find original horror films that have comedy and that have gruesome behavior from the main culprit. In this case, I also found the creature to be very fascinating because as the characters are learning about its limitations, its pursuits, its drives, you're learning too as the audience. And you realize that he takes a body part to replenish his own body part, thus I guess, achieving immortality.
1: Yeah. Which is the same like thing Dr. as a Franken- super,
0: well Supernatural episode. There was oh. a guy in Pennsylvania somewhere that was like a 200-year-old doctor because he would abduct people. And he, he used to be a doctor in a f- former life. And now he's like a ghoul. And he will take body parts from living specimens, you know, live so that he can continue to live.
1: That's right. I remember that now. I can visualize it. Ugh.
0: I don't know really why this is titled Jeepers Creepers. So far, this season, obviously, every title is a horror movie title. Some make more sense than others. The first episode of this season was I Know What You Did Last Summer, which makes complete sense. But for Jeepers Creepers, I guess it could be something as simple as there's a lot of close-ups of characters' eyes in this episode. It could be that there's some that the monster, in this case faux Ghostface, wants something from everyone. It's kind of hard to know. But it does give you the Jeepers Creepers. We are gifted both the Lakewood Five, we're down to five, and a variety of new cast members. The lingering questions that plague us are which of these five will outlast, subvert, or circumvent the killer's hideous tricks, and which new cast member could be, likely might be, will be, dismembered. You are still our dreamy screamers, for you are dreamy, and your Second season screams, and scream deep within your analytical dreams. We haven't had a lot of dreams speak lately, that was more towards the beginning of the season, but we do still have Miss Lang, and we do still have dreamy screamers. We politely ask you to parse the following. Is it a dream within a scream, or a scream within a dream? You may not be able to escape your dream, but from faux ghost face, you can run, climb, and attempt to hide. But, you're already dead inside. Here, in your dreamy dreamlike state, each scream makes you feel alive. For as others may be killed, possibly at the scare grounds, possibly not, gruesomely at times, you instead shall thrive. As you strive to remain alive, and to stick with those fleeting, but for now alive, victims of past and present lies who proudly deem themselves the Lakewood Five, who cling desperately to their still-breathing Lakewood Hive. Branson is gleeful to be tied up, but what befalls his fetching ass will make us and you throw up.
1: Brooke, as vapid they mistook, her manipulation skills warrant a second look.
0: I didn't see Ferris wheels, but Noah, his true favorite flick spills, in between his squeals.
1: One moment, Noah is enjoying a bubble tapioca tea. The next, he's getting shushed from the playbook of Bill Cosby.
0: Kieran feigns insult, but remains a 21 Jump Street snitch. Stavo reminds Brooke he ain't her as rich. Aunt Tina tries to seduce the mayor, for she is rather loose. But will she or he fall prey to a second noose? Aha! That's a callback to Rachel, who was killed via noose. Fogo texts from a dead man's phone. Cut off from friends and one turncoat. Noah is all the fuck alone. Miss Lang is hot for Branson's Wang. He's a sexy guy. She's hip to be his ally. Welcome, dreamy screamers, to the sixth episode of season two. Fogo space. Fogo. Our crime-fighting duo comes between in chapter 16. Beware, Lakewood's scaregrounds and unfun house. Brooke wields scissors. Noah flees a house of mirrors. Fogo irons out. Seths shouts. It is time for serialized killer trivia. Although credited, Kiana Ledé Zoe does not appear in this episode. This is the first time a series regular is credited in an episode in which they do not appear. Now, before I get into this next one, it's all about the song Jeepers Creepers. Daisy Belt, do you recall when you first may have heard that song? Were you young? Was it in the last 20 years? What?
1: No, I was probably young. I grew up kind of like with, um, not that this is doo but like doo jazz, classical music. So I definitely likely heard this in my childhood.
0: It's one of my favorite classic songs that is great to play around Halloween. I would say that a close second, if not tied, would be Mr. Sandman, that's a really good one, too. It's very creepy. It's very weird, and they play it in Halloween H2O at the beginning. I remember that.
1: Oh, I, I didn't remember that.
0: And make no mistake, they do play Jeepers Creepers in the film Jeepers Creepers. I believe it is at the very end, right as the credits are starting to roll. Jeepers Creepers is a popular song and jazz standard. It was written by Harry Warren, lyrics by Johnny Mercer, for the 1938 movie Going Places. The song was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Song. The song was included in the 1984 Smithsonian Collection, American Popular Song, Six Decades of Songwriters and Singers. The lyrics include, Jeepers, Creepers, where'd you get those peepers? Jeepers, Creepers, where'd Where'd you get get those those eyes? eyes?
1: Wow, we should get a singing group together.
0: It was also a 2001 horror film. Written and directed by Victor Salva, starring Gina Phillips, who I loved in that film, by the way. Justin Long, I've never been a huge fan of. I mean, he's okay, he's kind of dorky, but sometimes he gets on my last goddamn nerve. But that's a great movie, we talked about it, I love it. Go Jeepers Creepers. Episode 16, Jeepers Creepers. The only thing I have to report on The Morgue is that Noah, while at the Duval residence, politely asked Maggie if she would like to be on his show, which would be fitting because she is the town coroner. She ignores him. It's actually kind of rude. I feel bad for Noah. But Noah talks on the morgue at the beginning and at the end of this episode, albeit Audrey is unaware of the morgue recording at the end of the episode. Now, scariest scene. I normally ask you first, but this doesn't have a lot to pick from. So I'm just going to venture and say everything that happens at the scare grounds from Noah being abducted to the real will the real Fogo please stand up and they do, and the most grotesque and disgusting scene is the loss of Branson's arm
1: totally agree, but my favorite is the whole fairground scene that's my favorite of this whole episode, maybe the whole season.
0: it's a good set piece it's I would say that if our favorite set piece from the first season was what either the bowling alley or possibly the Rin Lake Dock something or around.
1: the abandoned hospital the abandoned
0: hospital was very good. But this is kind of a throwback to that. It gets you away from the school. It's not in a main character's home. It's a new, dark, desolate location. And when someone tells you to meet them at the abandoned fairgrounds at night, I don't care what kind of exonerating information they may be in possession of. Use your wits, Noah, you idiot. Drinking a goddamn bubble tapioca tea like he's got all the time in the world.
1: Yep, no service, goes in. What an idiot. We begin with the morgue in a great
0: voiceover. From Noah, talking about the different stages of grief, and it goes something like, That sort of grief is a tricky thing. You don't know what to feel. Should you be furious? Should you be frightened? Should you be sad? It can swallow you up or weigh you down, or ignite a fire inside you. When murder hits this close to home, it makes you see the world in a new way. People too, even the ones you trust, start to look a little different. Because when everyone's a suspect, there is no innocence. That's good shit. I love the Noah logs. Can't get enough of them. I enjoyed them in class when Seth Branson was teaching. And I enjoyed them on his podcast, which did not start really until this season. We're not counting the voiceover at the end of season one. It looks like Brooke is going to give herself a haircut. If this had been a lesser show, she would have. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a main character cut their hair to do a personality change or a grief and loss illustration. It's happened in the show One Tree Hill. It's happened in Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. But she's like, no, I'm not going to cut my beautiful hair. I'm going to stab these pillows instead. Thank Christ. It reminds me of Analyze This with Robert De Niro and Billy Crystal, where he hands the pillow to the mafioso Robert De Niro. And he says, here, punch the pillow. You'll feel better. He's like, oh, he takes out his gun and shoots the pillow like six times. (laughs) It's actually a pretty funny movie. It's a, if you like Billy Crystal, it's great. we see that Audrey is a kickboxer, the Les Beast. That would be her stage name if she was in the UFC. What I like about these developments is that as we learn different things about the characters, it fits. It's not like they throw something in and you're like, no, 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 no. This is contrary to what we know. Of course Audrey would do kickboxing because she's small and she wants to feel like she can defend herself. She's already shown some of her skills in gym class last season. And things will continue to materialize as the season progresses with, for example, Stavo. We're going to learn some things about Stavo that we didn't know, but it makes for a really good backstory.
1: Yeah, also Eli, I feel like. We-
0: All of the characters yeah. we will learn more about. Audrey is the prime suspect now on Noah's murder board. Note, on his murder board, there are pieces of yarn connecting one clue to another. Question, did Noah borrow that yarn from Zoe's hair?
1: <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I was thinking, because later we learned he has a cat. Maybe he got the yarn from the cat. But, PSA for people who don't know, cats should not play with yarn. They cannot get long stringy things in their intestines. Otherwise, it could be really, really bad. So, FYI.
0: Emma gets a call from Fogo Space. Hello, Emma. And this is important. From this conversation, she is able to extrapolate, and thus we are, that he was, in fact, at the school when she had her panic attack and faux face was in the woods when she was high on ayahuasca. This is worth noting. Now, Kieran has come by the house to check on Emma. She tells him the truth. She tells him about the contact that she's had from the killer, and he tells her the truth about why he had to 21 Jump Street snitch her ass or else go to jail. Okay, the killer called her. That's big news. Kieran did not know that beforehand. Also, he tells her about the gun and why he had it and all that shit. It's worth noting that Kieran realizes, and we realize too, that she made up the panic attack. She would just kind of plan that card to minimize any potential criminal consequences that she might have gotten in for destroying school property. Emma then goes to Noah. She's on a mission. She has to see the murder board. He's like, oh, no, no. He puts like a courtesy sheet over it. You're not ready. Nobody's ready. She rips it off and she is distraught to see Audrey's face smack in the middle of the board, and she immediately demands answers from Noah. Well, Noah gives her some truth, but casually omits the fact that he knows things about Audrey and how deep the implications go of her involvement. Why does Noah not sell Emma right there? Partly because this is a serialized show, and the show must go on. It might be because he doesn't feel it's his place. He knows that Audrey and Emma are very close. Noah is a really good actor. He might be one of the best actors on this show. He's very consistent. He can do the comedy. His comedic wry timing is pitch perfect. And he can really wear concern, fear, anger, and drama on his face expertly. So when she is lambasting him, his face is perfect. It's not overacting. You feel what Noah feels. Frustration, confusion. He's not exactly sure how to handle this. But he is sticking to his guns. Now, Brooke thinks that this is all set. Do you think that from her perspective that is plausible, that makes sense?
1: Yeah, I I think so, because right now all they know is Jake is dead. We know that. She feels like Branson's stalking her. So all of that together, I think it makes sense. If I was Brooke, that would be an easy conclusion to come to.
0: She overhears her father and the sheriff talking about Jake's phone. This doesn't seem that important. Oh, but it is. Because we have the sheriff telling the mayor he was not able to unlock it. He is lying. He's holding back some information from the mayor because I believe we discussed off mic that he doesn't trust the mayor because of this text exchange. So we know Jake was killed brutally, and we know the last day that he was alive. There's this text exchange. This is the last message from Maddox to Jake's phone. You little punk. You think you can pull this with me again? You are done in this town. I like that the mayor capitalizes punk and done in the text. And what's so fucking awesome about this is that text stream is believable that it came from the mayor because I believe that's exactly what the mayor would say to Jake. Also, Noah is tailing Audrey because he has to surreptitiously return her phone. And so he looks around the little brick column and then hides behind it. And the next time he pokes his head around, she's right there and she beans him in the arm. And then he acts really weird. And he says he wants to buy a bike. He casually slips her phone back in her bag. And then he acts weird some more. And she's like, what the fuck's going on? And then they part company but he did successfully return her phone to her. Emma and Noah decide they need to exonerate Audrey. He decides that he will text the night manager of the Crescent Palms Motel, Eddie, who we already know is dead. I mean, he is so dead, as Audrey will say later. He gets a text back from Eddie's phone, but it's the killer. And this director was kind enough to show, to remind you, Eddie's in a bathtub dead. And the killer is just boop, 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 boop in a text. How many times do you think Fogo will be an imposter? How many times do you think this is going to happen where Fogo is assuming the identity of another through the virtual medium? It's worth noting because not only is it hip culturally, but it keeps things interesting because you never know if you're hearing from the intended sender.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting they're not really thinking about that yet, but I guess just because Jake to them is the only one who's dead.
0: I think they should be, that's one flaw I would say is present and semi-prevalent with this season. After everything they encountered last season, They knew there was hacking going on. They knew there was a Piper imposter. Noah is pretty trendy and in the know about this shit. For them to just blindly accept every communique they get, even if it seems a little odd or out of place, whatever, fuck it, I don't care. It's just worth noting if you are a dreamy screamer. But his phone texts Noah and says, meet me at the scare grounds. Meanwhile, Aunt Tina is charming the mayor, and he senses desperation in the waters so they have a casual drink at the bar. I wonder what's brewing there. Once again, much like Brooke not cutting her hair, this show is so spectacular because it subverts your expectations. I think that Brooke looks great even in mourning. And then I love this line that Stavo delivers, I drive a bike, not a Range Rover. (laughs) She does, in fact, drive a Range Rover. So that's consistent. And it's really just him saying, look, Not everybody has a father who's the mayor, and not everybody is in the upper crust social circle. Motherfucker! She goes, help me investigate, Stavo. Poke your head around the police station. Look into the records. I want you to find something in Branson's file. Because again, she strongly suspects Branson. Kieran is at the police station, looking at his dad's framed picture, Sheriff Hud. We do miss Hud, but we like the new sheriff. He's cool. He's interesting. He doesn't take any shit. And there's some mystery there. But it's a really cool scene because Kay is looking at his dad's picture. Meanwhile, Stavo just kind of glides out of the records room as it all is happening. And then, of course, he gets mad at the sheriff. And he's like, you just had to bring my dad into this. When the sheriff is pumping him for information and he is reticent to speak about it. We learn through some clever waterfall tears, really alligator and crocodile tears from Brooke. She puts on a hell of a performance because she is a good actress and she's a good actress. We learn that Kristen Lang, who is Seth's alibi, is actually, it's an alibi. She did not know his whereabouts the night in question, but they're dating. Seth and Kristen are dating. And it leads to a really funny scene when Stavo comes back to report this to Brooke. She's like, really? Blazer babe? They're dating? That's so weird. And he's like, I know. She's his age. <laughs> like the timing is perfect.
1: Stavo is the best. He's like a charming rebel, I guess.
0: This is where Emma says to Noah, You know, they need to go to the scare grounds to investigate further. And her mom's like, you're not going anywhere. And then she casually blows off Noah's morgue request to be a guest. Stavo confronts Audrey and he's like, look, you need to look at my artwork on this iPad. You need to see what I'm trying to do. You need to see my artwork. You need to see my message. And she's reluctant, but she ultimately agrees that while it's twisted, it is good shit. And that's why I chose it as the opening quote for this episode. Because his artwork is very good and it's speaking to a more subtle theme that we've never really abandoned, which is what do you do when you have a killer in a small town and you have this cyclical cycle of crime and it's all connected to the past, lies, families, bloodlines, and people's worst natures. Note that when Brooke puts on her alligator slash crocodile tears and then she calls Seth and she's like, I want to meet at our old spot. I miss you, Seth. And she's like eating a licorice whip. And it's so funny. You know exactly what she's doing. He has no idea.
1: Entrapment. That's what it is.
0: But note that something wicked this way comes is playing on the marquee at the Zenith Theater. I'm falling apart, Seth. She is hilarious here. Like, I'm actually laughing in some scenes in this episode. (laughs) And Brooke's always good for a laugh. She gets good dialogue. She delivers it with aplomb. Now Tina, Aunt Tina, is at the mayor's house. And he pours her a drink. They clink glasses. And then she goes in for a kiss, and it's so hilarious. He just stands there. He doesn't move back or anything. He just closes his eyes, and he's like, I'm afraid you have the wrong idea. <laughs> well, then what am I doing here? Blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, I sensed something in you early on. Oh, yeah? What? Desperation. My guess is that he's going to have her pick up where Jake yeah. left off. <clears throat> we yeah. don't know exactly what that ulterior duplicitous near-do-well activity was, but I'm sure that it will reveal itself in time. Emma breaks out of the house. That wasn't difficult. She gets a flat tire. Do you think that flat tire that she gets like one block down the street? Do you think that's intentional? Because that same thing kind of happens in Jeepers Creepers too. It has
1: way. to be. It has to be. And in fact, in hindsight, which we'll get to this in a minute, in hindsight I was thinking maybe it was Audrey, but that doesn't make any sense because Audrey would have no way of knowing that Emma would be going to the fairgrounds. So, I do think it was intentional. Yeah, definitely. We know that Fogo's face is luring noah there by pretending to be eddie
0: noah is drinking bubble tea tapioca drink he's commenting as he's going oh great no service well i'm gonna go in the house of mirrors now nope nope stop talking to yourself noah nope i gotta get out of here and then he gets back to the car he gets in his scion he closes the door and out of fucking nowhere he gets chloroformed by Fogo Space in the back seat
1: yeah i did not see that coming
0: it's so startling It's also a faux-faux ghost face, as it's not even the real ghost face. We will learn that soon enough. As Deceptive Brooke is doing her duplicitous deeds, she handcuffs Branson in their old spot, which is this very Shangri-La hotel suite, and she puts scissors to his neck. She draws blood. She demands answers. She threatens to cut off his taters. And that's when he admits, the night in question where Jake died, he actually was supposed to be meeting Jake at this hotel for Jake to pay him $10,000 so that he would leave town. The assumption is is that he was going to take the money and then leave town. And then of course, Brooke is satisfied with this response and she leaves him there handcuffed. That was very unexpected. But he does say when she's like taunting him because she's like, you make up stories, you killed somebody before. He says, look, Caitlin was disturbed and I just did not take her threat seriously. I believe him. I don't think he had anything directly to do with anyone's death. He has been standing by the fact that he's not a killer and I believe him. And then I love when she's like, J.K., <laughs> she just has such a brook way about her. I really can't think of anybody to compare her to. Mr. Hero Man, K.K., Kieran shows up, and he fixes Emma's flat because he's a solid guy. Then he makes her promise that she won't go to the scare grounds. He says it's not safe. Why does he think it's not safe? Because we are all aware that a killer is out there because Emma's already told him that he's been appearing. So, fair enough. We also see Stavo in his room with a vertebrae tattoo he's wearing the mask he's taking pictures of himself wearing the brandon james mask oh yeah what the fuck is he doing yeah
1: that was uh, when i saw that i I forgot about that i was like uh what are we watching what is happening i didn't know how to take it
0: the music is really good here and note that he puts the mask back in a van shoebox when brooke goes to pay him a visit and noah is tied up to this abandoned carnival ride and he is panicking He is admitting to Audrey, who's tied up behind him, that they're going to be killed, they're going to be tortured, and he needs to confess all of his sins. One of the first things he admits is that he told Riley way back when that Terminator is his favorite movie. Why? Psycho is actually his favorite movie, but he said you can't tell that to a girl on a first date. Also, he says Terminator is not even in his top five. That's a fucking shock, because I actually had in my notes last season, ah, we learned Noah's favorite movie, Terminator. So I'm having to backtrack that, Because Noah backtracked that. But while this is happening, and Audrey's acting very weird, she's like, no, 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 you don't have anything to feel bad for. No, everything's fine. You don't have to confess anything. Emma shows up, of course, and the real Fogo is there. He's stalking Emma. He's prowling the grounds. What the fuck is going to happen? This is the scariest scene, and it's a great backdrop, and as far as we know, they're the only ones there. Finally, Noah continues to admit things, and Audrey is like, okay, once she realizes that Emma is coming, and that the killer is in all likelihood there audrey suddenly just pulls her hands down her hands had like a piece of rope tied around them but they were not tied to anything and it becomes painfully clear that noah not only was not tied up but that she's the one that drugged and abducted noah so that was a shock because she was in full fogo garb and he's like you have some explaining to do (laughs) and it's funny and you feel noah's confusion and perplexity Kieran shows up as the trio is trying to get out of the park. He seems out of breath. He says he followed Emma, which is fair enough because he has been kind of keeping tabs on her. Kieran is very cool under pressure, I noticed. Do you agree?
1: You can't get a rise out of Kieran very easily. If at all. I don't know if we've even seen that.
0: We learned that the emails that were sent to Mr. Duvall and that came from Riley, we learned that that actually came from Emma per the Arizona Tech guy. And I like that because that's following up with an open thread. They'd mentioned the sheriff said, I'm going to get my tech guru guy from Arizona to look into that, and their diagnosis coming from Emma. Then we get towards the end, testing, testing, welcome to the morgue. Noah's about to start a new episode, and then Audrey shows up, unexpected. The recording is still going, he gets kind of wrapped up in his conversation with Audrey, and that's where she finally, after a fair enough, long dramatic pause, she admits that she's the reason that Piper came to town, she blames herself and she makes Noah promise not to tell Emma, for she needs to tell Emma. But it's still recording everything. That's fucked up. Obviously, that's going to be used, probably similarly to season one, but we don't quite yet know. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen with that recording? It's going to play a part. In yeah,
1: somehow, Fogo's going to get a part of that, or I don't know. Something is going to happen, so we'll just wait and see.
0: Now, remember that fetching guy, Branson, that was handcuffed to the bed at that nice upper crust suite? Fogo shows up in the room, removes the Victoria's Secret eye mask that's been placed on Branson's eyes. And he also has a gag, by the way. Fogo proceeds to plug in the iron with his buck knife, and I own this exact same knife. I've had it for over 24 years, by the way. He saws off Branson's arm with no pain medication. Seth is screaming intently and intensely. And then he proceeds to cauterize the wrist wound with the iron. And you get to see blood falling on Branson's face, and it is not pleasant. I hope Brooke was worth it, Seth Branson. She's a good-looking lady, but she lost a hand, man. And I wonder if he can be so handsy now.
1: now. I like that the
0: term horror movie logic is used. This is what I call a harmful carnival. The body count was technically zero, Eddie was already iced, and as Branson's wound has been cauterized, I'm about 150,000% sure he's still alive, and that is by design. Before I get to the music, Daisy Bell, did you have any comments or last-minute thoughts?
1: No, I just thought the plot really got pushed forward this episode. I liked it. Really, ever since Jake was killed.
0: Great catapulting and propulsion of the plot. Time for tunes for the post-op surgical mask-wearing loons. Human by Akilo. We started a fire by My Zika, these are all the best of the best songs that I selected. Anchor by Novo Amor, those are two words. Leave Argentina by Polar Sets, one word. And Cold Soba by Humans. You can find all of the tracks if you just type in Scream the TV series, track find. Very easy to locate. You can listen to little samples of each song. It's a great time. Emma may not be as sly as cousin fucking Eli, but she can off deceive or rather lie.
1: Fogo is a mean dry cleaner as he irons out Seth's shouts.
0: Stavo is compiling a graphically grotesque gorgeous novel, but his approach to this not-so-novel. Faux-Fogo gives both drugs and hugs to Noah. Is Lakewood weary of the morgue or otherwise bored of Noah's murder board? Piper fucking Shaw is dead, but who wears this familiar coat? and faux Ghostface Mask in her stead. Dream a little Scream for us, dreamy Screamers, or stream a little Scream for us, streaming Screamers. Note that Scream, the TV series, is currently available on Netflix, but it will be removed from Netflix September 1st this year, so please get to watching.
1: Can you spot the killer's brand, her, their, his, its, cold knife, clutched in their blood-red hand?
0: This new scream season, we begin. Of this new slew of games, how many will Fogo win? Old transgressions resurface along with past sin. We hope Piper was neither a triplet nor a goddamn twin. The unmasked killer shouldered secrets, but even more mystery surrounds Quinn. But how will these tortuous tales he spin? And on who will the brunt of the blame he pin? Audrey deserves more than a dollop of flack with Fogo on the prowl. Lakewood remains under fucking attack. Noah and Audrey are presently a tenuous FOGO hunting team. Is this Noah's bound and dreamy nightmare, or a screamy dream? Brooke, with her prior beau Branson, has the last fucking laugh, but he once had two goddamn hands, now of that number half. If you listen intently and watch with focused peepers, you just might catch the next chapter coming. FOGO Space Branson's Arsonist Kindling in Chapter 17, Daft in a Backdraft, scene. Persuasion to a Home Invasion, Hoarding Recordings. Your host, the Noah Foster Imposter, Falsetto Prophet, and co-host,
1: Daisy You'll Meet Me in Hell Bell, Red Devil, out! out.